for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. Greetings, I'm Bernard. And I'm Magenta. You might know us from such hit podcasts as Madame Magenta, Sonas Mystica. Horror anthology Magenta Presents. Or season three of Mockery Manor. We're everywhere. And we're spreading faster than an STD in an old folks' home, because now we have a brand new podcast. Wham! Wham! It's a fun acronym that stands for We Have a Movie. Oh, it's not just an acronym, Bernard. It's not? It's a chat podcast where we invent smash hit Hollywood movies based on popular toys. If you like the Barbie movie and you want to see similar treatments of your favourite childhood toys, I'll wager you'll like Wham! With episodes on Polly Pocket, Rubik's Cube, Game Boy, Strawberry Shortcake, Furby, Connect Four, and lots of other nostalgia bait. But it's not just for adults who still like toys. It's a podcast for anyone who loves Hollywood tropes and comedy. And quantum mechanics. And BDSM. Wham! has something for everyone, but is still specifically about movies. That's Wham! W-H-A-M. You know, like when Batman punches someone. Yes. Adam West. That Batman. Exactly. Not the Christopher Nolan one. No. Download it anywhere you listen to podcasts. <sighs> That's what the world needs, another movie podcast. Was that clear? Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned quantum mechanics. Mm. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey today. My name is Ivoma Okoro. You are listening to Vega, a sci-fi adventure podcast, and episode 13 starts right now. It has been quite the journey, hasn't it? Before I get into this, before we finish this season, I just have to thank you. You've come with me a pretty long way. This story is the culmination of several years of work for me, and if you're still listening at this point in the telling of it, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's just really freaking cool. I'm so glad that I did this. I'm glad that I got to make this, and I hope I can keep making this for you. On last week's episode, the Prophet-Elect dropped a bombshell, a few of them, actually, and we left Vegas smarting with the possibility of having been wrong about Zaxby all along. I'm not going to rewind you this time to get you into it. This time, I'm actually going to hit fast forward. You ready? For the last time this season... Let's get into it. Okay. Up until this point, I've been telling you this story as at least a semi-reliable narrator. Now I'm going to switch. For this next part, I'm not going to tell you everything. Because the account of this night that I will give you, the one that will be presented at Vega's trial, didn't have everything. Yeah, her trial. As in, court trial. We won't get to that, at least not for a long while. Right now, we're just going to focus on the first clear treasonous act. That's what the lawyers will call it. They will all be sure that this evening was the first time Vega committed clear-cut acts of espionage that posed both an immediate and impending danger to the security of the country. 
That's how they'll put it. The only other thing they will seem to agree on is that the act took place on Vegas Skybus. They will know this because half the reason they will only have a quarter of the evidence is this location. You see, during the trial, it will be revealed that Vega had had her locksmith set up a network that blocked state surveillance into, out of, and within the secured perimeter of that Skybus some years before the treasonous act in question takes place. They will know that after the conversation with the prophet-elect, Vega retreated to that sky bus, which was at the time parked on the private skyport on the Rex grounds. After this, the details will get hazy. The head prosecutor will be a fierce-looking man named Felix Skelton, whose bushy eyebrows will be like two twin skunk tails, black with naturally occurring white stripes slashing through their centers. Appropriate, as the expression he will make whenever he speaks will be like that of someone who keeps getting shuttle whiffs of skunk funk. His primary argument will go something like this. Esteemed members of the court and counsel, it is my firm belief that after the conversation with the prophet-elect that day, Miss Rex retreated to that sky bus to place a call. The call in question was made to a one Mr. Rev Slantexic, or as he was known at the time, incognito. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the full roster of Noxian Divinity, please allow me to fill in the blanks. Incognito is known as a spy god, a god of secrets who specializes most particularly in alias identities. It is our belief that Miss Rex solicited the god Incognito for information about the man known as Zaxby Genere in exchange for Petraction State secrets. With the aid of strong circumstantial evidence, Ms. Vosner, I, and the whole prosecuting team will soon prove that to be true. This will be harder than they think it will be. For one, not a single piece of their strong circumstantial evidence will certify that such a call was ever actually made. The call would have needed to happen within the hour and a half Vega spent on the bus that evening. That is, after she retreated to the bus and before she left again to go commit her second clear treasonous act, an event that will shortly be taking place in a far more public venue, and don't you worry, we will get to that. But call log subpoenaed from both Vega and Incognito's private records indicate that no such call was ever placed in that hour and a half in question. There were a few calls placed to other numbers. Incognito called a slew of specialty soap shops because apparently at the time Mr. Slantexic suffered from highly sensitive skin. And Vega only placed one eight-minute call to a popular affirmation hotline, the kind that just read off pre-recorded statements like, you can do anything you set your mind to. And when this is over, you're going to be so proud of yourself. Because she was at the time suffering from a highly sensitive ego. But no calls to each other appear according to these records or any radio tower cross checks. For another thing, there was strong evidence to suggest that Vega never reached out to Incognito at all because she was able to obtain the information she was looking for from a much more trusted source, that is, her locksmith, Danix Foley. Now here's where things will go from hazy to downright mystifying, because the exhibit that Vega's prosecutors will cite for this whole call argument, the point upon which their whole line of attack rests, is a testifying witness. 
one of the purported two other people present on the sky bus sometime during that fateful hour and a half. That witness, the one who claims that Vega solicited incognito about Zaxby's identity, that was none other than Vega's locksmith, Dan X. Foley. Confused? Yeah, Vega would be too. The look on her face when Danex will take the witness stand will break you. It'll invigorate the courtroom, though. Here's how Danex's testimony will go. Vega asked me to come, so I came. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't really care. But then again, I didn't really care about much at the time. That would be a significant point. Danex is not caring. Mr. Skelton and the prosecuting team will spend a lot of time expounding upon the state of Danex's mental health, which at that time had taken significant hits in the wake of the sudden and mysterious disappearance of his wife some eight months before. Would you say you were actively depressed about the disappearance of your wife on the evening this incident took place? Skelton will ask. Yes. I was extremely depressed. Do you think Miss Rex was aware of your active depression at the time? Yes. Do you think Miss Rex had any awareness of how hard you were working at the time to find any trace, physical or otherwise, of what happened to your wife, Mr. Foley? She was very aware, yes. In your own words, would you affirm that you were desperate to find any shred of information about the happening or whereabouts of your wife. One of Vega's lawyers will go, objection, leading the witness. But it doesn't end up mattering much because Danex will say, yes, I was desperate and Vega knew that. Would you say this desperation left you vulnerable, Mr. Foley? Probably. Yeah, I, I may not have been thinking as clearly as I would have been if I hadn't been so desperate at that time. Yeah, okay. Mr. Foley, would you please explain to the council what happened that evening? When I got there, Vega had already started the call. She tells me that this god knows about Zara, about who she is now, because apparently she had picked up a new identity from him. I was shocked. This was very shocking for me. After months of these endless, empty search returns, finally this was something. Vega tells me that this god was willing to give us this information, but at a cost. And then Incognito proceeds to tell me all about how valuable information is, about how the more secret it is, the more valuable, and all this stuff about currency exchange. And while he's talking, I start to realize he thinks he's bartering away two identities to us, Zara's and somebody else's. And when I ask Vega about this, Vega tells me that she asked about someone else, too. And when I ask who, she tells me some guy named Zaxby. Why do you think Miss Rex didn't ask you to find out about Zaxby directly, as many on the council believe? You had provided her with the identifying details of hundreds of people by then. Why was she going this roundabout way to get the details about John Array by tempting you with information about your wife? Because she knew I would say no. Here, Dan X will get as emotional as he'll become during that trial, his face smarting with the sting of betrayal despite how long it had been since these things had taken place. She knew I would have questioned that and I wouldn't want any part of it. She knew she had to tempt me with Zara to implicate me. 
I wasn't gonna help her if I didn't owe her. Help her with what? What did Miss Rex want you to do? She wanted me to add his name, his real name to the kill list so she and her apprentice could hunt him and make it look like Saivo ordered the whole thing. What was the name? Incognito associated with Mr. Jonaray. What was his original identity? His name was Saul. Saul Linux. And did you add his real name to the kill list? Of course I did. Mr. Foley, I want to thank you for your honesty. If you would permit just a few questions more. In your testimony, you claimed both you and Miss Rex offered valuable information to Incognito in exchange for the information about your wife and Mr. Jonare. What information did you and Miss Rex offer him? It was little stuff at first. Vega told him the prophet-elect made house calls, which he didn't seem to care about. After that, she told him that the famous noxion doctor, Drake Muckrow, who had recently passed, was killed by hunters. He wanted to know which one, but she didn't want to say. And when that still wasn't enough, we went to the side and we started talking about it and we decided, we decided to give him one name each off the kill list. She gave him the name at the top and I gave him the name just under that. Mr. Foley, was there anybody else on the sky bus with you and Miss Rex while this information was being exchanged? Yes. Who? Dan X would shake his head here. He would seem almost sorry to give up this next part. He was just a kid, man. Her cousin. Milo Rex. We're on the sky bus. The Dan X is already gone. Vega and Milo remain. The only thing that illuminates their dark figures is the projected screen of liquid light coming out of the mission deck. The impressive work of protraction engineering that sits as benignly as a kitchen table in the space. After a beat, it becomes clear that Vega is waiting for Milo to speak. In the half-light, he looks ten years older than when we last saw him. He sounds like he's speaking from a dream. Saul Linux. Who is that? The mission deck populates his question into a search bar on the screen, and Vega says, Would you like to look? Milo nods, and the search engine gallops through the deep web, throwing back images, videos, search histories, all the private information of a man you've already met, linking him to a cult you already know. So the only person this is news to is the young man currently suffering the sharp edge of the most gutting betrayal possibly anyone has ever experienced. He falls back to the bench behind him. That shootout. With the rangers, Vega begins delicately, moving toward him. That must have been a decoy. This saw guy must have friends in high places. He's probably on his way to the skyport right now, back to Animus. The prophet-elect tried to stop us. For some reason, she wants to exonerate this man. I have a plan to stop him myself, but I can't do it my way. I need them to think I'm playing by their rules. I need an apprentice. She kneels before him, places one of her hands on his. Milo, if we don't stop him, no one will. So, 
What do you want to do? Milo looks up at her. And I swear to you, listener, the look in his eyes just then, it's the same look Vega had when she woke up in the healing house. The same look Zaxby, now called Saul, has carried with him all his awakened life. The look of all people who have been touched by death, soiled by the falling spray of some senseless murder, tainted with that infection, a black spot that spreads like a stain across the fabric of a poor and guileless soul. There lay in that look a disease that has seldom, if ever, been overcome by anyone who has contracted it. But would it? Could it be overcome now? How will this end? What will Milo do? Milo says, Let's stop him. I guess you'll just have to wait and see. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In June of 2020, an amateur podcaster disappeared from the Carson National Forest while searching for the legendary Finn treasure. But he was adamant that he was onto something big. He was obsessed. He showed her some hand-drawn map to a treasure out in northern New Mexico. The subjective truth is part treasure hunt, part paranormal docudrama. Starring Addison Peacock as Graham Anderson... Back at home, I placed the box on the counter, and I just stared at it for a while. You'd never be able to guess its social impact on the human race by looking at its simplistic design. UFOs, ghosts, reincarnation, and liars. This is The Subjective Truth. Subscribe now. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.